So I've been in circles of other remote folks, other black remote employees to be exact. And we've had a conversation about like, where is remote work going? And while I think remote work can be here to stay, and it's a very effective way for folks to have agency over their time and live life on their terms, other folks have said, eh, I don't know. With social media, folks are giving too much away. They're like, oh my God, I'm working from Europe. I'm in Mexico one week. The next week, I'm all the way in Australia. And I'm still able to get, you know, paid. And they think that folks are very uncomfortable about the type of leisure that remote workers are leaning into. Okay. And so what I think is, what's the problem with having leisure within your remote job position? Um, But I think we need to do some calling out and calling in for folks to really understand what remote work is. So today, we're going to be politicking all about remote work, remote workers, and a very candid article that was recently released um, and was published on Fortune titled, Gen Z remote workers are probably not going to become CEOs and will likely fall behind their in-office peers, says NYU business professor. (laughs) You know why he said that? It's a she. You know why she said that? Why? Because she's still in office. We're about to unpack and get into it on this episode of the Broke Black Bougie Podcast. So I want to welcome you all to another episode of Broke Black Bougie, where here we create candid conversations for Black women. And it's relatable because we've all been there. Women having to make it on less than our worth. We do it while studying trans, spreading Black assness, and ultimately busting our tails to live our best life. And uh, we just about to get into these remote coins. You ready? I'm ready. All right. All right. So we're just about to hop in to the conversation that is being led by this conversation that the NYU business professor said about Gen Z's. And the professor, her name is Susie Welch. And she is a NYU uh, professor at the School of Business, the Stern School of Business to be exact, okay? So I'm gonna get into it. I switched to the insider because Fortune had a paywall and I am not subscribed and nor do I desire to be subscribed at this time. So we just switched it over because same conversation written differently. And this article is actually written by Salda Bayimaya. I butchered the name, so I sincerely apologize, but let's hop into this career conversation. So, a New York University professor has a warning for Gen Zers who are choosing remote work and prioritizing work-life balance, saying they are unlikely to make the top job as corporate CEOs or reap the same financial rewards as others. Susie Welch, an NYU Stern School of Business professor, told Insider in an interview that remote workers may view work-life balance as their own version of success. 
But there are some trade-offs to rejecting hustle culture when you are young. The young people who choose to have that life go into work maybe one or two days a week or never and work entirely remotely. They have a version of success that is not our version of success, Welch said. It's all about how you define success. They are probably not going to become CEOs, but maybe that's not what they want. She said that those who were used to working in traditional offices know its upsides more than people who were out of school one or two years before the pandemic. I've seen the magic that happens when people are actually together, she said. Welch's comment echoes that of another NYU professor, Scott Galloway, who previously said that young people should never be at home if they are looking for professional or even romantic success. Although a 2023 Deloitte survey found almost half of Gen Z and millennials feel that work is central to their identity, they are still demanding greater work-life balance. These attitudes are reflected in some of the workplace trends emerging on TikTok from lazy girl jobs to small girl lifestyle, encouraging women to take low stress jobs with high pay and do as little work as possible. Welch emphasized that people who are choosing these lifestyles may be in for an unpleasant surprise further down the line when they are not seeing the same financial rewards as their more hardworking peers. She said, there's never really been a time where you could just sort of show up at work, work from nine to five and have wild success. That wasn't the deal in my generation and it's not going to be the deal going forward. Sort of show up to work. That's what she said. She pinned down some of these issues to Genji's version to dealing with anxiety and advised them to start facing their stress head on. Welch noted that anxiety disorder is a serious issue, but that she was talking more about the garden variety anxiety or what her generation would call stress. Welch gave the example that someone may want to go to a party, but have to deal with clients. And if they want to succeed at work, then they'll have to skip the party. These decisions are the real-life trade-offs you have to make when school is over and a natural part of adulting. That's actually the work of your life. It's kind of figuring out who you are and what journey you want to be on. And it might create uncomfortable feelings and it might create sleepless nights, but that's okay. That is part of being in the world. So since Susie has put that out there, her perspective on remote work. What are your thoughts about how she's framing the value of people who choose remote work and what it means to be successful? I felt it's like bootstrap theory. Mm -hmm. Get up, throw on your clothes, your boots, and you get up out and you go to work, even if you don't like it. Um, I'm not a remote worker. However, I do see the convenience and the less stress that um, excuse me, let me rephrase that. It's not less stress. I see the convenience that it has for those who are remote workers to balance, have a true balance when it comes to work life and home life. You don't have the stresses of going into an actual brick and mortar to get work done. A lot of the jobs during the pandemic, people realize we're able to save money 
for one, mm-hmm. for rental space mm-hmm. for our employees not to come in. So that's more money within our pockets and sometimes too in our employees' pockets. Also, when it comes down to what we dealt with during the pandemic with all the safety precautions and measures, not everybody right now is comfortable going back into a brick and mortar because of the high anxiety from which she states is due to not being around people. But I think right now people are still on edge edge about COVID because we're not, COVID is not eradicated. It's still here. Mm -hmm. Um, To say that people don't have the same type of, in some, from how I interpreted the same respect for work, I have to disagree with her. I, I, I feel like just because somebody is taking on a job and yet you're automatically saying that they won't be a CEO or they won't make um, the, the money that their counterparts are making who are in the actual brick and mortar, I have to disagree. There are a lot of jobs right now that are, uh, are remote and people are making money. Off their positions because of the experience Mm -hmm. and two because of what we're headed in towards now which we see is a lot of technical work involving some type of frame of using your computer and social media in one way shape or form right so in her era that was the go-to you get out you do your work even if you didn't like it you have the quote-unquote whatever you feel like um she feels she feels that uh having been around community with those who are in your uh 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 work space, you know, and building those relationships, you can also do that via remotely. Right. I think when you're trying to pinpoint what success looks like, everybody's interpretation of success is different. And I'm not so, interested and, in and, a white woman's definition of success for my life. Bingo. When there we have it. Simply when your experiences and your lively experiences are different. Very different. You know, like white women tend to have this false idea that they were able to reach success by working really hard. When a lot of the success that white women have is because of mediocrity, you know, and abusing folks within workspaces and white privilege and how white privilege and white supremacy, let's call it a thing here, shows up within work environments. And so to tell someone that if they're going to work remote, they're probably are not going to become corporate CEOs. There are so many corporate entities that are fully remote. Yes. And folks who have founded organizations centered on remote work, and having some form of travel associated with those roles. Mm-hmm. The narrative that is being painted with with people who, and young people in particular, who desire to have a work-life balance, it is framing this idea that you wanting to have leisure and agency over your time and how you live your life is a problem. It is a problem for those who are invested in the hierarchy who are invested in your exploitation and extraction and the consistent working around the clock that shows you are a hard worker. Mm -hmm. There are other ways to exemplify hard work and having rest and ease should not be a problem. No, it shouldn't. I think Gen Zers and millennials in particular, um, us, like we're in this space where 
we are tired of being sick and tired mm-hmm. of jobs that have pulled so much out of us and have not given us enough of what we've needed to be able to thrive. Mm-hmm. We've been in a survival mode. And what the pandemic has done is open people's eyes up to see that remote work is an opportunity for you to really take your time and figure out how to properly pour into yourself. I agree. As well as the work that you're doing. Right. And let's not forget, too, you're still working. Yes. It's just remote. Yes. So you can still have the same type of dynamics that exist within a brick and mortar. It's mm-hmm. just you're doing it's just remotely. Yeah. You still have relationships where you want to deal with people and you don't. Absolutely. You like your boss. You don't. Absolutely. They on bullshit. You won't bullshit, mm-hmm. you know, but it's almost like you're like how you just explained it. Um, that you can't have leisure or agency over your time. Mm-hmm. It's almost like you are Enslaved less than you are less than because the work because environment because you desire to have this type of work, which is which is which is seriously a problem. I honestly didn't start to see people having a problem with remote work until a certain type of person decided to show how they're able to live their life on their terms. And that is black women. Black women on social media started to display and show other black women how they were landing jobs well over six figures and applying to jobs, even if they didn't have the full qualifications, getting hired, learning the experience that they needed and being successful and having the leisure and time to work from a pool. Yeah. When those things started to be demonstrated on social media, folks had a problem with black women thriving. Mm-hmm. And there's all of these conversations that are existing now because it's like there have been folks working remotely and, and doing remote work before I even could work a full-time job. But now it's become something that's much more frequent. Mm-hmm. And... It's a problem with who is maintaining this image or has this leisure or who wants to be able to evolve. You can't be mad at folks who say, I don't want to work until I'm 70, until I'm 80 for the rest of my life. Because I saw my elders having to work and stick at a job for 25 to 30 years, hate it, live paycheck to paycheck, find themselves in poverty and attached to just a job title and not anything that they could pass down to their loved ones. Exactly. Not anything that could pour and invest into what made them a creative. I saw a lot of folks who were elders and they were attached to jobs that made their very creativity that they had die. Yeah. So you can't be mad at folks who don't want to end up in that predicament. And as a first-generation remote worker, I have a very firm stance on what remote work has meant for me. Mm-hmm. But before getting into that, because I think it's important to unpack it and, and really rebuttal what she said. You know, rebuttal some of the things that I feel like doesn't make sense. But... um, She's talking about the magic that happens when people are actually together... And it's negating the reality that people can still be in community when remote. So, 
like I said, I'm not remote. I've seen you work remote for so, so for some time now. And I'm actually looking into positions once I get done with what I'm doing with school to see about remote positions mm -hmm. for the type of uh, job that I would desire to have. I see, for one, the time and the leisure that you have with working remote. You're still investing your time into the job, mm -hmm. but at the same period, it's, but at the same period, you also have time for yourself away from the job. Yeah. So, um, I think from the lens as to what she, to, to how she's seeing this is like, Oh, it's, it's repulsive yeah. that nobody wants to, wants to truly work. It's, it's, it's making it seem like she's like remote work is like by the wayside. Yep. You know, like, you know, that's not really work. You know, you're, you're, you're really not working. You're not putting your full complete effort into your job. Mm -hmm. You know, you're not putting in the, the, the hours that those of us who are going to a brick and mortar are putting in. Right. Um, it's, it's, it's really a negative, a, a, a negative stance to what she's saying within this article. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Even though she's trying to put, try, trying to put some some sprinkles on shit that is not making any sense. Right. From your lens, if you think people should, should work in a brick and mortar, that's your opinion. Like you said, success is going to be going to, it's going to be viewed differently through everybody else's lens. Right. And just like you said, when black folks, now all of a sudden we're having the agency to do what we want, desire what we want to do when it comes to work, it's a problem. We don't want to deal with the microaggressions mm -hmm. in a brick and mortar. Mm -hmm. When it's in our face, you want to say that it's uh, a time where we can come together as a team and get things done. Not always because those microaggressions still exist. Right. The systemic racism still exists. Right. When it comes to those who are not black and yet use their privilege to their own benefit to harm those who are brown and black bodies. That's a problem. Mm -hmm. Let's dig deeper into what this is. Mm -mm. Because a lot of us are not going to see it the way that you see it. You know, like, and that's, that's super important, right? Because it's almost being looked at as, oh, you know, they're not going to get ahead. Says who? Says who? Says you? Says your affiliation where you're tied to the voice that you have? You know, um, people are so obsessed with the fact that Folks don't want to be harmed in workspaces anymore. No. And I've always said this, and I tend to say say this a lot because people don't necessarily understand how our workspaces have definitely replicated some of the worst horrors of the industry that came before, right? This existing mm -hmm. economy that we're operating in. Right. When you bring it back to chattel slavery, right? In the U.S., we have operated longer in chattel slavery than we have in today's current workforce. And the implications of that are very strong when you think about the way Black people are treated within the work environment. Yes. And also the different experiences that we have with hierarchy, with low pay, low wages, limited access to wealth building... And the transfer of wealth that almost feels non-existent. 
when you think about as a collective where our wealth lies, right? Mm-hmm. And so in us wanting to have more leisure over our time, that is super important because we're thinking about ways in which we cannot be exploited mm-hmm. or we can have stability mm-hmm. because we're seeing our peers do it. And we're also seeing stability that looks very different. You know, I think it's quite hilarious that she said they're not going to be CEOs. Well, my first introduction to consulting work was when I was in college. And then I was able to get some small coins. When I graduated from undergrad and went into my master's program, I had the experience of doing more remote work. And a lot of it was working from my computer doing consulting. I would land in-person gigs, right, jobs that were in the policy and communication space. And because of stipulations associated with when I could work and I, how I could work being a student employee, um, there were times where the office was consistently shut down and I had no choice but to work remotely so I could still get paid and survive as a graduate student who was working. Mm-hmm. And then I had the experience of working in government and a government role. And it wasn't my first government role, but working, doing analyst work, which I loved. But I hated the work environment because as a government employee working in a legislature, to be exact, a lot of your time and energy is committed to the job. Right. You're a public officer. You're working not a standard nine to five. The tagline that everybody associates with the work of being a state legislature employee is hurry up and wait. And there are some days where you will have work and there are some days where you won't have work. But on the days when it's really rough, you could be working past six o'clock, seven o'clock. I had weekends that were non-existent. I had uh, holidays I was working through. And... I also had no opportunity to take off time in a way that made sense for how I desire to live my life. Mm -hmm. So in the position during the time that I signed up for with leadership, um, we were informed that we couldn't take off work from January to June. You were on call. And... Sure, you would get comp time. You would work a lot of hours. If there was an emergency and a death in the family or a health scare or or something relevant to your well-being, okay, fine, you can have days off. But it wasn't a week. It wasn't two weeks. It wasn't an extensive vacation because the expectations you were on as the elective officials were on and supporting their needs, right? That was the nature of that kind of work. And there were hierarchies within that role. But, you know, my directors at the time, one was making $84,000 a year and the other was making over $100,000 a year. And for analysts, some of our pays ranged from fifty five to 70000 And what do you do when so much of your time is around work, 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 work? And not enough 
of it is rooted in things that bring you joy. You're bringing your work home. You think you're going to have your weekends to yourself. You don't. And then there's a workplace culture that was really harmful. You know, working through the pandemic, my first exposure to COVID wasn't because I was out here running amok. You know, my first exposure to COVID was through job assignments that were voluntold, but very much so were tied directly to my job position. It wasn't a healthy work environment. And when the pandemic happened and I was doing work from home, I said, I research, I write, I publish, I create content. Sometimes it's graphic based, sometimes it's not. I do talking points, I could do toolkits, I, I do briefs. A lot of my training is my comms work is self-taught. My policy stuff is trained. Like that's literally what I went to school for. But I'm not being paid what I am going through right now. For all that I'm going through, I'm not being paid enough. And I can do this job from home. So when things started to open up more and job markets were were flowing and 2021 came around, I said, I'm going to find a remote position. And I know I can do remote work. I know that there is a position out there that will pay me what I'm worth. And I can be able to flourish. While I was a employee working (laughs) in the legislature, I also became a co-founder of an organization. And the money and the time and the energy and the commitment that I put into that organization Mm -hmm. bought in well over $100,000 in grants in under a year. Right. So the skills that I learned as a remote worker... And being in different industries working taught me a lot about having agency over my time and how valuable I am for others. So why not want to be valuable for myself and take the opportunity to do remote work and build on those skill sets that have been building for everyone else? So she can say, you know, that folks who are, Um, remote will never be CEOs of big companies, but there are so many folks working remotely doing things that they'll be like, no, 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 no. You're not supposed to do that. You will not box me into your version of what success means because that does not fit the life I want to live. Exactly. You are not God. You are a white woman. And not only that, this is from your lens. Yes. From how you gain success. Mm -hmm. That will not be how the next generation will gain success. And yet it's showing right now. There are too many companies that are offering Mm -hmm. remote positions because they know how valuable and how desirable these positions are. Mm -hmm. And yet making sure that the people who they're putting into these positions, yes, for some of us, if you don't know, through God, I can apply for this position, lay that position, make my way through learning the ropes of how to maneuver in this job. Right. And yet, if it's not something for me, I'll go on to the next. Exactly. I'll build upon my portfolio because now I know what to expect when it comes to dealing with a remote position. Yeah. 
you've did that. You've done. Excuse me. You've done that. Yeah. You are doing that. Mm-hmm. You've built your portfolio to the point where you can't say shit about what I'm doing and what I'm qualified for. And what I'm, I'm well more than qualified for the things I'm doing. Yeah. And the interesting thing, I think people don't realize. Um, is the fact of how harmful we saw those of us who came, those who came before us and how they've held those positions 20, 30, 40 years, not hitting the ceiling at the max and yeah. not getting any more than just what they were getting at that facility. Then and they're, they're not a CEO. Higher. No, not at all. But the CEO knew what was going on from mm-hmm. a standpoint of landscaping. So yep. you know how things are moving. You know how individuals who are in this role and what they're making, what their cap is. Yeah. But they're not going any further than that. They're not going to go any further than that. That's how the system works, right? Like, there are people who have worked at companies longer than the CEOs who keep rotating in and out mm-hmm. of those damn organizations. And like you said, with, with the creativity, And they will it never... It, it, the creativity dies. And they never make more than where they're at. You capped out hourly, you know. Folks are upset because they're working to be consistently broke. They're enraged because they've given so much of their life to a job that hasn't given anything to them. But exhaustion and exploitation and extraction. And they want to have a voice. You know, it's like I put 20 years. You put 20 years in, but that's not your organization. No. You put 20 years in and you can't pass off that job. If they wanted to let you go, they let you go. And what do you have? The memories of working really hard, but having nothing for yourself. It's so interesting that you said that. that, you said that. A CEO that switches out two to three years after being there, mm-hmm. they leave with 1.3 mil. While the workers that are still there that are making 20, wage, 30, 40 years. And they, it ain't nowhere near that. They're nowhere near that. And they probably know the inside and outside of that organization better. Than that CEO. That than the like. CEO. Yeah. And I know that might be a stretch. But what I'm saying is there are people who are more informed about environments and about what the needs of workers are better than those who do serve as CEOs. And as a CEO salary continues to increase and increase and increase you have workers who have wages have remained stagnant as the cost of living has gone up yeah that's a problem so what are these people supposed to do continue to work the working poor is not just you know a fancy concept to talk about folks in poverty it's a real reality that people find themselves in yes and what is so disheartening, and I want to bring it back to this point, is seeing creativity die. You have people who get up every day and they're in routine. But don't do nothing that brings them joy. Don't do nothing that makes them smile. Don't do nothing that provides them with joy or security for themselves. Because everything that they've given, you know, the job has killed them. When I was working in my former role, I was 60 pounds overweight. 60 pounds. I was my largest weight. And it was the first time in my life where I would go to the doctors. And my doctor is telling me, you need to get your weight down. And I'm thick. 
thinking all the right places, voluptuous, loving it. I'm loving it, you know, but I'm not healthy. It's impacting my heart. It's impacting my energy. I'm pushing being pre-diabetic because I was leaning on a lot of food to help me cope with the stressors of my work environment. I turned to food to provide me ease. And I also turned to distracting myself by being so consumed with what others needed. When I needed myself, that job brought me down. I went through a lot of anxiety. I didn't sleep normally. I wasn't eating right. Um, a lot of the times in which we would communicate was through cell phones. I'm getting hit up on signal. Every time I hear a signal buzz, I'm triggered. My body is shaking. It's 8 o'clock on a Sunday, and I'm being told that I got to do work. It's the most triggering thing for you to experience, and I don't want to do that. And when I got into remote work, that journey ceased for me. Like, I didn't feel that way, and I was able to spend more time nurturing my body mm-hmm. and, and working on healing myself through the ways in which I was not properly healing. Yeah. You know, and it was remote work that, that gave me that opportunity to just be able to have more ease. Yeah. But don't get it mistaken. You know, there are the own trials and tribulations that come with working remotely. Oh, of course. It's still a work environment. Yes, it is. So don't think that oppression and stress and um, positive work experiences 100% exist every day because you're remote. It doesn't. Mistakes happen. The same way that oppression exists within the brick and mortar spaces it also exists in virtual spaces but what remote work has taught me it's all right you done seen it from both sides now Mm -hmm. what are the lessons you're going to take away from this to properly pour into yourself and i think that's something that everyone could should consider Because people aren't simply chasing remote work. They're chasing something that they need to bring more ease into their life. And sometimes it's within. Yeah. And not only that, too. It's just really knowing that you're able to make a decent living. Well, more than a decent living. Yes. When it comes to doing remote work. Yes. You know? And the things that you're able to do remotely, you can't do in a brick and mortar. You know? Mm-hmm. able to take care, like you said, having that balance with work and, and leisure, able to take care of, let's say if you have a working mother or father that's, that's able to work at home and take care of the take kids, care of the kids, take care of appointments, make sure that they're making sure that their health is okay. Mm-hmm. Being able to schedule different things that's going on throughout life. Life happens at us in any given moment, things can change and shift, mm-hmm. but having that leisure and flexibility to say, you know, this is what's going on. Blah, blah, blah. Whatever the case may be with your job, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. That's why I said it's a blessing 
there's a lot of things that happened with that with COVID that kind of exacerbated some of the things that were hidden under cover. Oh, absolutely. You know, absolutely. And remote work has now not saying that we never known we we didn't we didn't know it 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 um it didn't exist the power we, we, of it we, yeah we knew that it existed yeah but yet to now what is able to offer so many individuals in different fields yep from tech to healthcare to government work to um finance to um teaching and education and consulting like nonprofit versus you know yeah. different corporate spaces like it's really amazing it's amazing when i first started doing remote work and was uh receiving some consultant work i was working for an organization that was out of georgia and i was doing a research scan on uh the opioid um, epidemic. And, um, it was enlightened work, but I just stopped doing it because the way I was getting paid through that job was every 30 days. And I needed something that was going to pay me more consistently because sis needed her coins, Mm -hmm. you know? So to go from that journey to getting, I, I think the, um, highest check I received for a consulting for one project was like 10k and for somebody as a first gen remote worker that's unbeknownst it's like what like this is a reality you mean that if I have 10 opportunities like this for one project once a month I could bring in (laughs) over a hundred thousand just for doing consulting, you know? Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I, I haven't gotten there yet, but it, it's something that I've been thinking about and, and dreaming like, about wow. and leaning into because it's it's realistic. Mm-hmm. You know, it's realistic. And when you really start to think about the quality of your work and what you are, are capable of, you're not limited by the voices of white women who were contributors to white supremacy, Contribute, were a contributor to the boxes that p- folks place you in. Your employers can do that for you too. Box you in. You are your title. I'm not. I'm not. That is true. My friend the other day, we were having a conversation and she was talking about as a nurse, her getting into remote work. And she was like, you know, I still want to keep it like around nursing and stuff. I said, you could do that. You can go into public health and you could do some research and you can speak to your journey as a nurse mm-hmm. and what you know from being one-on-one with patients and how you've been able to pivot and how that perspective is useful, but you're not your title. There are nurses turned CEOs. Yes, there are. There are travel nurses who turned CEOs. You are not your trade. That's what I need people to understand, you know? And it's all about, too, marketing yourself. Absolutely. Yet, you're still going through the process of showing your resume, telling the the potential employer, this is what I'm capable of doing. And yet, recognizing and understanding that you're still able to have the same discussion as you would if you were in a brick and mortar. 
yeah. to tell someone, this is what I'm capable of doing. This is my work. This, well, this is what I, this is what I have to bring to the table. You yes. are the table, the door, and the window. You all are right, all right, all you right. are the infrastructure. Yes. Without you, the work can't move. So when you start to look at yourself in that way, it makes it easier for you to understand how to sell yourself. Most importantly, how do you show up for you? Because you're exchanging your labor for coins Mm -hmm. and labor in the u.s has consistently been exploited we got to go back to our roots and understand why right We, we and we spoke about that a little bit earlier but i think folks are are actually lost you know about how their perception is or or how they identify themselves like fun fact about me I was calling myself an analyst before I was an analyst. I was actually an intern working a fellowship. I got into a fellowship program that taught me the inner workings of politics. And I had an opportunity to do another fellowship program. Then I had an opportunity to apply to another fellowship program that was going to get me matched with jobs. And folks thought I was insane to not decline (laughs) these fellowships, not once, but twice, because I applied to them both times. I said, no, I know that I can land a job. It's going to be a learning curve, Mm -hmm. but as a student, they're going to be explaining me anyway, so I might as well get the benefits of it Mm -hmm. and be in this role, Mm -hmm. right? Because that makes sense. I called myself an analyst before I was an analyst. And then I became an analyst and I said, oh, this shit is not, this is, you know, I, this ain't it. <laughs> maybe analysts ain't, you know, maybe I could, you, 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 I could call myself a strategist, you know, because I, I, you want to talk about some strategy for policy um, and doing some comms work. That's what, that's what I am. I think that's more, more of what I am, but I never really considered who I was Mm -hmm. by a job title because most of my job titles couldn't encompass all that I was capable of doing. Absolutely. I could write you a mean grant, but my job role isn't in grant writing. So am I a grant writer or am I my job title? I can make you a mean setup of graphics for digital advocacy. Does that mean I'm a graphic designer? And a lot of the graphic design work that I've done has been from organizations outside of the state in which I was raised. Does that make me a graphic designer? Okay, boom. We could talk through your ideas, your mission statement, your purpose, and do a 10-year plan for your policy agenda, which will be six key areas that you want to focus on for an organization. I've done that. Does that make me a policy advisor? Do you see what I'm saying? Like, I don't work jobs. Bitch, I am a job. (laughs) 
Okay. I love it. Y'all do snaps. Snap, 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 snap. And all while doing this, I'm a fucking student. Yeah. A doctoral student in policy to be exact. Do Does that mean I'm defined by the titles in which what I do? Like, I don't understand that. Mm-hmm. Because when I was younger, <laughs> and you might remember this, when folks would ask me what I wanted to be, I would say a business owner. Remember that? Keep going. I was really young. And the reason why I wanted to do it is because they used to have those people called uh, Junior Achievement. Mm-hmm. They would come in in suits and, and talk to us about how we could create a business for ourselves. And I will never forget when um, a black man came with a white man. They had suits on. And the black man spent a lot of time with the black men. He didn't talk to the black women like that. I said, damn. We was kids. But... Nonetheless, let me just say children, you know, because they like to bump us up anyway. Black kids ain't allowed to be black kids. But um, as children, seeing that experience, I will always be like, I want to be a business owner. I know how to take a pen apart and put a pen together. Ooh, that's cool. You know, uh, I used to love biz kids growing up. Because I'm like, damn, these kids got their own businesses and they're doing programs for kids in the city. Like, I want to be a part of this, but didn't have the access means nor knew how to sign up for that. Right. That it was my very first job working at a television station Mm -hmm. where I was learning how to pan cameras and interview folks and do public servants announcements. Um and little commercials like that got me into liking media, you know, but there was one time when they were asking me, what did you want to go to school for? And I was like, Oh, I want to go to graphic des- school for graphic design. If I would have went to school for graphic design, I do not think I would have the type of political views that I have now, because if it wasn't for James Baldwin, Okay. If it wasn't for Zora Neale Hurston, if it wasn't for Ella Baker, if it wasn't for Bell Hooks, if it wasn't for Mr. Coates, if it wasn't for Damon Young, I don't even think I would believe in my voice or the possibilities or be a multifaceted person. That makes sense. And that is what remote work allows me to do. Boom. <laughs> and so my friends will say this all the time. As much as I complain about certain experiences that I don't like. Because work is work. You know? Um... They will tell you right now, I'm the first to be like, you want a remote job? Let's see that CV and let's figure it out. Let's shop it around. And I know it's hard out here for a pimp now because so many people want remote work. And like one of my acquaintances said, he was literally like, because of social media and everybody wanting to post everything and be trendy, it's really impacting how people are able to live and have remote work. There was a remote worker who was interviewed in um, 
And and I, I feel like I'm, I'm chatting, but it, it's a no, good chat. No, because it's a good chat because you understand it because you were remote. <laughs> um, there was a guy in like the height of the pandemic who got interviewed by a news organization. Okay. Because he was working like over ten jobs, each of them remote, and he was bringing in a hefty amount of money. And so there was like, well, you only have like 12 hours to do what you need to do for work. Like, how is this possible? He showed them his pay stubs, how he was able to get it done. The computers, like he was like, this is how I was able to do it. But when he talked about it, it gave a lot of folks motivation to be like, well, I could hold down multiple jobs. And the truth is you can, but the problem that people have is folks think that one job is enough. Not understanding that oftentimes, especially because I can only speak to my experience as a black woman. Yeah. If you are a black woman who is a caregiver, who is someone who's helping out a family member or family members. Right. You are the first professional of your family in terms of a first generation professional who is working in certain industries. Yeah your responsibility looks different. And $80,000 may not be enough right. when you are taking care of four plus other people. Right. And so having that additional job, if your wages don't increase, mm-hmm. having that additional job is crucial to be able to meet your needs and get to a place of thriving. Right. And... If you have to hold down two jobs to get out of survival, what's wrong with that? Oh, folks think you're more profitable when you're in survival mode. They don't want you to thrive. They don't want you to see your worth. They don't want you to see your value. They don't want you to pour into you because the divestment in black women, the divestment in black people, the disposability of us is more profitable to the way that white supremacy shows up within these workspaces. And that's not something that we need data to prove. Because the proof is in the pudding. Yeah, it is. It's in our wages already. It's in how we talk and feel about the work environments that we work in. You know? It, it, that's real shit. So the issue folks have is really about us (laughs) thriving. If a lot of us were able to really hold down multiple jobs, it would have been good. I I would never forget my former partner at the time. He had explained to me that you walked away from $144,000 at the age of 25 going on 26. And I did because I landed two jobs. One was remote and one was hybrid. I stayed at the hybrid job for a week. Yeah, I remember that. What was worth it though? Was it worth it? No, no, no. I said, what was worth it? My peace. There you go. You can't buy peace. You can't buy peace. You can't put a price on your peace. And um, if I would have stayed there for three months, oh, you couldn't have. Three months? 
Shakalaka, shakalaka. I would have been Gucci. Now, my frame of mind is different. Yeah. When I look back on that journey, my frame of mind is definitely different. But I think I did what I needed to do. But there's nothing wrong with that. No, of course not. You know, people have a problem with folks showing up in that way because they're like, I think that you being secure is too much. Too much for who? A world that ain't built on my security? Mm. All right, now. I'm it's preaching many, tonight. There's, there's, there's too many points, yes. Too many points you've been hitting. It's like... Snap, snap, snap. But yeah, I do think more folks should come into remote work. Mm-hmm. It is just quite hard, yeah. you know. Um, so when these jobs are posted, it's very important to make sure that your selling points match precisely what they need. Yes. And how you talk about the work that you've done isn't just, oh, I've operated in a team of 10. No, I've operated in a team of 10. I've been able to manage five plus individuals on different projects specific to Mm -hmm. racial equity, economic justice, and reform. And through these skills, I've been able to lead projects, written projects. Oh, let's talk about it. In-person campaigns and virtual campaigns to move the needle on equity. That sounds good, right? Mm -hmm. Let's talk about it as a cashier. You're just not a cashier, baby. You are a trustworthy individual who can manage the funds of your organization. (laughs) Go ahead, keep digging. Okay. All right. You are a exceptional money manager. That's what you are. The org cannot function without you managing that money right. You're damn near an accountant. (laughs) Go ahead, break it down. Them checks and balances got to be right at the end of the night. You need to sell yourself differently. Mm -hmm. You're not just a farm technician. No. You're someone who understands the interpersonal needs of your patients. How to break down the information that your patients need to have a seamless process in taking their medication. Yes. And knowing the support that they have if something goes wrong or if they may need you to consult with their doctor. Right. Or get them in touch with the pharmacist. If something may be a little bit off. Right. You understand patient wellness. Mm -hmm. You have cultural competency. Yes. Because for those who are pharmaceutical techs, you deal with very sensitive information surrounding your patients. And the type of private information you've been able to hold And the type of gentleness that you have cannot be replicated. Especially in spaces where folks just 
don't interact with folks as much. Your customer service skills are top tier. That's important. Very. You're not just a medical tech. Come on, let's talk about this. Okay? Community servant is what you are. Educated on cultural competency. A lot of language that I'm reusing here. But but it's important. Knowing not only how to take some vitals, but inform your patients about what these vitals mean. And the way you disseminate information is the way you can disseminate information in very crucial circumstances for any organization. Yes. Because sometimes the information that you've had to tell patients have been hard. Cross cross industries. You y'all got to see how my hands is moving right now. A lot of the information that you have and how you sell yourself can work cross industries. That's why people need you. You're not just an analyst. You're a person who can read legislative language, who can write legislative language and break down the jargon of a bill. I used to love reading bills. What? You give me a bill right now, I'm going to tell you if it's bullshit. Be like, this ain't what the advocates want. This is actually a very watered down bill. So you see how they slid? You see line 42? You see what they slid? In? That's a loophole. How y'all going to address that? Y'all going to fight for it next session? All right. I'm going to move to the floor. I don't want to hear nothing. <laughs> but line 42, full of shit. Called you out. I remember one time I was reading a bill and it was um before the housing laws the reform laws went into effect. And um, there was some section of the bill where they were talking about what represents a small landlord. And it was something that I, I didn't even feel was necessary, but I was like, who threw this in because they getting some money from landlords? And it didn't, I didn't even feel like it made sense for it to be in that bill. But it was like, if a landlord had uh six people or, or more that were family members in units that they could keep them in the unit or something or something of that nature and not have to worry about renting those 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 spaces out and i said what's going on here the language didn't even make sense it was just it wasn't okay and when i worked on analyzing that bill um because it was different packages of bills grouped together, okay. right? Um, but when I remember, I remember working on it, one of the things that I felt like was so important was you have to, in New York State, it was only legal for you to have an application fee that was $20. Okay. And your move-in costs should be first month's rent, 
and a direct, uh, not a direct deposit, <laughs> a security deposit right. that was equal to or less than the rent. So if your rent was fifteen hundred, you got to pay what five hundred? Fifteen hundred or less. Or less. And normally people would do the maximum fifteen. Okay. Or you know if they were a little bit more lenient, it would be like a thousand. I said yeah. five hundred. I went at the at, at the at, at the, the very base, lowest, the base, and lowest. nobody wants that. <laughs> okay. Not them. Not them folks. Okay. So I went to do my apartment search. Okay. At a luxury apartment. Ahead, I was only go, searching go ahead, for luxury go, apartments. Go, go ahead and say it. Go ahead and say it. And um, the company that I went to, my homegirl had lived in that apartment building mm-hmm. before the pipes had blew. Okay. But I loved it. It was so nice. It was spacious. It was close to work. And I said, I can see myself living in this space. Okay. So I'm going to do it. Here we go. I applied and the property manager responded back to me and said, we don't like your credit score. So your moving costs will be the following. And it was like 3,900 or something around that, that nature. And it was illegal for her to price me that. And as an analyst, ooh, ooh, who worked on that bill. Ate into that ass. I messaged her back. I took the screenshots I have to this day. And I said, hello. I don't know if you are informed about the latest New York State law that went into <laughs> effect. Come on. But here it is. I'm attaching. I ta- I attach the enacted bill. Okay. And I said, according to current New York State law, I am supposed to pay a security deposit that is equal to or less than the first month's rent. And this is not in alignment with that law. It's actually... Illegal. An illegal quote. Oh, hit motherfuckers where the... I told her, I said, if you want to talk about this more, we can. But at that point, I knew I wasn't going to rent with her. Of course not. So I went with my old beloved place. Right. She responded immediately and said, oh my God, thank you so much for informing me. I'll get that together, requote you, and we'll go from here. No, 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 no. I let her sit with that for 48 hours and responded, I don't think it would be appropriate for me to move forward. (laughs) You know? But thank you. Yeah. Because I can only imagine how many other people she hit with that. And the whole purpose of those rent reform laws was to make it easier for folks to access housing. Right. And for folks to not be discriminated against with their credit scores. And I was repairing my credit through that process. Um, but for folks to not be discriminated against, not that be a determining factor in whether or not folks could have access to housing. Right. And what I found so interesting about the journey with her in particular was 
it only took me notifying her for her to just come back too. But it's like, did you know about it? She knew about it. Or did you not know about it? Or are you because, trying to just play me because you knew I was a black woman? Bingo. You know what I'm saying? Because that also, that uh, redlining. Mm-hmm. Let's dig into it. Yep. Yeah. It, it, it felt like, you know, some, some, some barriers that was happening. Oh, yeah. It was, it, was some, it was some serious barriers. But she didn't realize that you was going to hit her with that shit. So she probably said, what the fuck? Oh, shit. Yeah, you fucking with the the the, the, the right for shits and giggles. Why? Uh, when you told her no thank you, what did she what, what did she reply? We look forward to housing you at another time if you so choose to. No. No. Because how many people, like you said, uh-huh. you've done this to? How many people have you done that to? And why don't you know about the New York State renter's law? And you rented property. It was... It really was a... Um, what do they call it? I don't got the right term for it mm-hmm. at the moment. But it was really, I would say it was a landmark reform bill. That, I think that's, that's, that, yeah. that's fair to say. It, was, it yeah. was a landmark reform bill. Yeah. How do you not know? And you're surprised that someone does? Ooh. Me don't like that. No, because you're supposed to be on top of that information because things can change at any given moment. You're a property manager. You don't know the laws. So what else were you doing, shicey? That you were getting away with. That you was getting away with. And I should have known. I should have known because when my <clears throat> homegirl lived there, oh, it was a, a... She went through something. She went through something being in that experience. But you live and you learn. Yes, you do. <laughs> yeah, you do. Uh, but that's why it's so important to just just be informed for those who are interested in remote work don't give up no right tailor your skills yes to fit the role bingo know that you can land the job know that you have the skills don't box yourself into job titles you are not your job I'm a teacher that's great amazing you're not just a teacher some of y'all are counselors. Some of y'all are food providers. Some of y'all are safety for these children. And a lot of which, if you have a passion or, or desire, this is just kind of something thrown in the air, to create a non-for-profit, a non-profit to help children who are in areas where they may need food. Yeah. That can be your ministry. That can be your business. If that's, if that's, if that's what it if that's is what that, it that you're that passionate you desire, about. Yeah. You know? So just because you're a teacher doesn't mean you can't veer off to something totally different. You can't veer off. Yeah. And, and a lot of folks do. You know? Um, a lot of us who go into that space, I think folks forget this too. We be solving problems that are already supposed to be solved. Yeah. Think about it. Mr. Beast recently did a video where he provided over a hundred wells to different African countries so folks could have fresh water. He's a YouTuber who has gained an enormous amount of wealth and he's doing the work that billionaires should be doing. Mm-hmm. Governments should be doing. Should be doing. And that it's not our duty. I mean, you're fine. That policy should be in place to make sure that people have fresh, fresh water. Okay. Period. That's it. 
You know, it's basic humanitarian efforts. Yeah. With folks who get a little bit more and they're helping out. But like, this should be the thing that other folks should be also tapped into. Mm-hmm. And it, it's it's quite enraging that oftentimes the people who are trying to fix the problem, and I'm not referring to Mr. Beast because he's very well off. But oftentimes those who are trying to fix the problem are not too far removed from the problem. Another word. Another word. So I'm just click. 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 You know, (laughs) (laughs) I just, hey, you know, that's real. You got people feeding those who are houseless, who are one paycheck from being houseless. You got folks who are trying to help folks have financial stability and they're fragile in their finances. Mm. You got people who are providing food to folks when they too are going through food insecurity. The same $20 rotating through the hood. I don't want to hear shit but folks actually resolving the issues at hand. Don't tell me. Ain't no money for it. When y'all got money for wars but can't feed the poor. Ooh. Shout out to Tupac. Want to do it. Tupac, Jesus, wow. Tupac. Tupac, Tupac it. You know, yeah, you know what but, I, but um, it's just everything that young man was speaking at a very young age. And right. to be so, to be so um, um, instilled with wisdom and to understand the systemic things that were happening within this country. And at the time, me being so young, knowing who he was as an artist, I'm not looking at what he's saying. I'm just admiring who he is. But yet now, as an adult, to understand the context into which he was speaking about these things. It's like my nigga was ahead of his time. When I was eating raw noodles, I'm not talking about ramen noodles. I am talking about box barilla noodles. When I was eating that, listening to Tupac, I understood. I don't know how it went through your head. <laughs> don't let it go to your head now, 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 now. <laughs> no, because as a kid, at, during that time, I was like, "How old?" So not well, thinking you were about six it. years older than me. So not not even thinking. But about you were it. going through your own seasons of depression. To be fair, man, we'll talk about that later. Yeah, but episode. I'm busting these things down, and you know, I know he. he I'm listening to the clip all the time. We hungry. We need some food. And do, but I got these noodles. And then I started liking the 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 starchy uh, uh starchy taste yeah. of the it, it's like you really like eating yeah that's all you had that's all you had you may do what you got some and and, and sometimes you know Mama would actually cook the spaghetti noodles so I wouldn't have to keep crunching on them and I would just eat that if you're gonna eat them eat them cooked no but me and you both was eating them shits yeah after and, a while it became like I like the crunchiness yeah Not only the crunchiness it was a starchy taste to it right so it's like then, nigga, poverty done, trauma that scarcity is done, a we done ate we done ate raw noodles like chips they are chips. Crush them things you up. Crush them up. You put, put some the sauce on that seasoning. And you eat Shake it Shake the bag up and eat it like chips. Now I, I eat mama noodles. I upgraded. <laughs> I upgraded. I did. You know, I have my egg and shit and scallions. You know, I, I, I eat it the way it should be addressed. Dressed up. 
Mm-hmm. You know? Mm-hmm. It's the bougie part of it. The bougie part yeah, of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Bougieville. All right. But thank God for broke land. Yeah. Or poor land, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> all right, all right. This was a great segment. I, I, I really must say, it contains so many gems about, like, just work life and... Listen. <sighs> you got to live in life. He reigned. <laughs> he reigned. He reigned. Yes, he did. <laughs> yes, he did. That's our inside thing. That's an insider for us. He reigned. you actually know where it's from, you let us know. If you know, you know. If you know, you know. He reigned. He reigned. That's all, that's all that is right there. And not the R-A- I N no 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 the R E I G N Jesus take all care all her problems all right I gave you a hint something should click 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 click. 